so September 28th of this year, 2022, was the date that Hurricane Ian slammed into the coast of Florida. It was a Category 4 hurricane, and it brought destruction ahead of it. Sustained winds up to 155 miles per hour at times. And I don't know if you, like me, had friends or family down in Florida. You were just praying and hoping and calling that they survive that storm, right? That they make that through. And that hurricane ended up being one of the most destructive hurricanes in the history of Florida. 157 people lost their life in that hurricane. Most of those in Florida making it the most destructive hurricane in Florida's history since 1935. There's a whole lot of families that after the storm passes, there's a lot of pieces to try to pick up. There's a lot of ways to try to keep going, right? And, and, and not to mention that, not just to mention that, but then there's also the, the catastrophic damage to property. Some estimates are that the dam, damage from Hurricane Ian is over $50 billion just in the state of Florida, so it's great to pray and, and hope, and can we just survive this storm? But then there's the aftermath, right? There's all the cleanup. There's all the devastation to somehow pick up the pieces from. And so we've been in the story of Genesis, as you know, and we've been walking through these last few, few weeks, the life of Joseph. And we have seen him come against storms, haven't we? Like He was sold into slavery by jealous brothers, sold as a slave into Egypt, where he not only worked as a slave, but was accused of rape, thrown into prison. The guy suffered injustice, and last week Pastor Mark talked about the storms of injustice that hit his life and how he found victory in the midst of that. But listen, it's not just in the middle of the storm. Then there's the aftermath, right? And so, so today, we're, we're moving forward into the aftermath of the storm. Joseph finally got raised to power. Circumstances are finally getting better. The storm has passed. Oh, but now there's the aftermath. Now there's cleanup. Now there's, he's going to run into his brothers. Is there forgiveness? I mean, that's the hard thing. After we suffer, after we experience pain, can we, can we is forgiveness possible? A lot of us don't think so. Maybe sometimes we don't even think it's necessary, but we're going to see this morning how, how God will use Joseph and work in his life to work a story of forgiveness for brothers that betrayed him years ago. And so this famine that's, that's working its way across Egypt affects not only Egypt, but the entire world. And Joseph's brothers will come down to get food because it's affected Israel. But before they do that, before we see them come, I just want to touch on one point. And listen, we're, we're covering a whole lot of chapters today. I'm just going to touch down at a few points, a few snapshots. So go read this for yourself. But I want to hit a few snapshots that I think we see posture Joseph to put him in a place of forgiveness. To pick up the pieces after the storm, right? So, so before his brothers get there, in chapter uh, 41 of Genesis, it, it says this, Before the years of famine came, Joseph has already been raised to power, and it says this, Two sons were born to Joseph. He was given a wife, Azanath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. Joseph was given her as a wife. He married her, and then he had two sons. And Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh. The meaning of that Hebrew is making to forget. 
And he said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. And the second son he named Ephraim. And that, that sounds like the Hebrew words for making fruitful. And he, he said this, it's, it's because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. And this is significant for a couple reasons, I think, because I, I think there's two mistakes we can make when we encounter hurt, when we encounter injustice in our lives, and when we try to pick up the pieces afterwards, right? I think there's two mistakes we can make. One mistake is we can try to minimize the pain. We can just ignore it. We can push it down and say, it wasn't, it, it wasn't that bad. I mean, look at everybody else. They've got it so much worse than us. And we can shove that down and say, like, if I was more mature, I'd be able to handle this pain better. And so we just deny and bury it. And folks, that isn't healthy. So, so listen, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time here this, this morning, but you and me, we've all had pain in our lives. And our temptation, especially as Western Americans, is to just shove that down and move on. Listen, there comes a point where we need to admit the pain of our past. And I'm so grateful for the way Joseph does that. He, he doesn't sidestep this. He says, listen, I've had trouble. He says, back in my father's house, I had it so good. And I've missed out on that for 22 years. Been separated from a father who loved me, from brothers who didn't, but from a father who loved me. He says, I, I have experienced trouble. And he says, I came here and it's been a land of suffering. You see, he, he's not shoving it down. He's not ignoring it. He's not saying oh, somebody else has it worse. No, like he, he admits it. But, but here's the other thing. Here's the other mistake we can make. Even when we face that pain and admit to it, then we can stay stuck in it. But here's what Joseph does. He realizes that his hurt isn't the whole story. His hurt is not the whole story. Yes, I've experienced trouble, he says. Yes, I miss my father's house. Yes, I've suffered. And yet the hurt is not the whole story because God has still been working. And you know what God did? He made me forget. It doesn't mean he's really forgotten. It just means like God has overshadowed that grief, that suffering in my past by being good to me right now. He's given me sons. And so that pain isn't as painful because God has overshadowed that. And, and, and he says, God has made me fruitful. He says, my hurt, that wasn't the end of the story. God's still working. He's still making me fruitful in spite of that past hurt. Do you know what? Joseph is practicing gratitude here. He's saying, my hurt isn't the whole story. God's still working in bigger ways, and I'm still going to be grateful for that. Are you? Like, am I? Like, when we come face to face with pain in our past, and, and believe me, it still affects us in the present. Your pain of your past, do you know this? Your wounds of your past are still affecting you in the present. But do you, listen, do you know that's not the whole story? God is still working. He's still faithful. And your hurt, your pain of the past, that wasn't the end of the story. Your life didn't end back then. You're still sitting here. God is still working. Are you aware of it? See, see, it's, it's, it's kind of like we, what we do when we're hurt is we, it's, it's like we hang a picture on our wall uh, of the suffering that we've experienced and the hurt that we've experienced. And you ever see those pictures on the, on, on the wall where the eyes follow you like everywhere you go in the room? Isn't that kind of creepy? I was down in Mount Vernon with my family uh, last year, and we were in the lobby in this one area of Mount Vernon, because Mount Vernon is George Washington's home. There was this relief on the wall of George Washington's face, and I glanced at it, and I did a double take because his face was pointed right at me. 
And, and then I, I thought, wow, that's unique. And there was, it was a good likeness of George Washington. And then my kids distracted me, wandered across to a different part of the lobby. And then I looked back again, and his face was pointed right at me, at me again. In fact, it was, it was like this. We looked through it. This is my cell phone video. But like, as you walked around this, it's this relief that his face actually goes into the law, and everywhere you turn, his face is following you. Isn't that creepy? Like, George Washington is a good, like, he's a good president, but it's kind of creepy to always have his eyes on me. But, but, but listen, folks, this is, this is what we do sometimes. When we have suffered offense from people, injustice, it's like we hang a portrait on the wall of our life, and we allow that offender to be in our life, and their eyes are always on us. And everywhere we go, that pain's affecting us. Everywhere we go, that hurt is there. Everywhere we go, we're thinking, man, do you, that person. And we rehearse and we nurse it, right? <laughs> we rehearse it and we tell it again and again and again what I've suffered, what they did wrong to me. And then we nurse it and we take care of it and we prove our case and hang it on the wall in this nice picture. And it just, we're just given this place to this in our life that God never intended. And listen to me, like, what if the, the, the face hanging on the wall of your life was not your offender. Not the one who was out to hurt you in your life, but what if the face on your wall was the one who is there to help you? Like that's what gratitude does. It, it puts somebody else's face on the wall, the face of the God of all creation who has not stopped working even in the midst of your pain. And so the one who is watching your life is not the one who hurt you from the past. It's God who seeks you out in the present and his heart is toward you. And it's good. Do you know it? Do you know it? I love this verse, 2 Chronicles 16.9. The eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the earth. Just like, just like one of those pictures. Just like George's eyes, right? The Lord's eyes roam to and fro throughout the earth. Listen, to strengthen, to strengthen those whose hearts are committed to him. You put him up on the wall of your life, his eyes are always on you. You know what to do? To strengthen you. No matter what hurt you faced. Are you aware of it? Are you practicing gratitude in the midst of it? So the hurt is not the whole story. So this, and then we get to the part of the story where Joseph's brothers show up, right? And they come before Joseph and he recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. And so he treats them roughly, and he speaks meanly to them, and he accuses them of being, them of being spies. And they say, no, 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 we're not spies. And they spill, out their, they spill their guts to him. Like, we've got this dad back in Israel. We're just common shepherds. We've got another brother back there. And, and, and listen, we're just here to get food. And that's the part Pastor Mark talked about last week where Joseph remembered the dream as the, as the brothers bowed down to him. And it's like evidence right in front of his face that, listen, his hurt isn't the whole story. And it wasn't the end of the story. God's still working in this, right, as he remembers that. And so Joseph hatches a plan, and it's an incredible plan. As this unfolds, I encourage you to go back and read this. It's an incredible plan to get, not, now, now listen, his plan is not to get revenge on his brothers. He could. But his plan is to test his brothers. Listen, because forgiveness, we're talking about forgiveness today, but listen, forgiveness is different than trust. Do you, do you know that? Do you know you can forgive someone and, and not completely trust them yet? 
Those are two different things. And so Joseph's plan is not the condition to say, I'm only going to forgive my brothers if they shaped up, if they changed. No. We're going to see, I think, that he's already in the process in this story of forgiving them. But listen, his plan is to see, can I trust these guys? Can I welcome them? Can I invite them back into my life? And so he hatches this plan. And for that plan to work, he needs to get Benjamin there. And so he says to them, he brings them before him and he says, do this and you'll live for I fear God. He says, if you're honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take the grain back for your starving households. But listen, you must bring back your youngest brother to me. Bring back Benjamin, that one you told me about, so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. Listen to how the brothers react, though. They said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben, one of the brothers, replied to the others, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, but you wouldn't listen? And now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. And then he turned away from them and wept. And if you read through this story, like, the, the one thing that struck me reading this when I was young is Joseph is crying all the time. And when I was like a teenager, I was like, man up, buddy. What's all the tears for? But, but listen, I recognize now, do you know why Joseph's so emotional, so crying? It's because he has suffered trauma. Real trauma, real pain, and he's honest about it in his life. He has gone through hard stuff, and he doesn't bury it. He brings it out. And, and not just that. He's now f- coming face to face with the people who offended him, the, the people who abused him and sold him into slavery. That'll drive you to tears. But like I think in this scene in particular, like he, he, he has got to be wondering for the past 22 years, he's got to be wondering, this has impacted my, this has caused me so much pain. Do my brothers even care? Do they even know, do they, do they even know the damage they caused? Do they even remember? And you know what he finds out right here as he listens in on their conversation? Yes. Yeah, they remember. 22 years later and they cannot forget the look on his face. 22 years later and they remember the sound of his voice as he pleaded with them for his life and they didn't listen. And Joseph finds out And he weeps. Because you know what I think he realizes? He realizes that 22 years ago on that day, he went into slavery. But so did they. It was a different kind of slavery. It was a slavery of guilt and shame. As they saw what their choice had done, they saw the horrible thing they had done and how it impacted their lives. And and so Joseph, in the, this moment, I think he's having compassion on them. He's, and, and here's a, another way for us to step towards forgiveness. It's having compassion on our offender. If you can advance the slide, I seem to have lost power, lost control. We need to choose compassion for our offender. And this is what we see here in Joseph and for, for the rest of the story. He is having compassion on his offenders. And that is a hard choice to make, but he sees the guilt and the shame 
And listen, as guilt and shame impacts his brothers, that, that ends up being a prison for them, a different kind of slavery that they, they don't have the key to get out of that prison. For 22 years, they've, they've remembered that voice. They've remembered that face. And you wonder how many ways they've tried to ignore that and get by that and get beyond that. How many times have they made excuses and tried to justify themselves? How many times have they blamed each other? How many times have they tried to make it up to their dad and be really good to him to try to make up for this horrible thing that he doesn't know that they ever did? But if he ever found out, if anybody ever found out, and they've just been waiting for 22 years for the hammer to fall, and here it comes. And, and you see, the, the, the face on their wall hasn't been their offender. It's been the one they've offended. It's been the accuser looking at their, their, those eyes looking at them all the time for that thing they did way back when. And, and all they can wait for is the, punish, the hammer to fall on their lives. And Joseph, through this, he sees that. And he has compassion on them. And throughout the rest of this story, you know what it can do when it puts us in a prison of guilt and shame is it, it ends up being that lens when we feel those eyes of accusation on us for that horrible thing that we've tried to hide in our lives. When we feel those eyes on us, it, it, it becomes how we see all of our life and that overshadows everything else. And, and we see that for the brothers too. You know, what, you know what happens after this is Joseph sends them home. And he puts their money that they paid for the food back in their sacks. What a blessing, right? And on the trail, they're on their way home and they open their sacks and all the money's there. Can you imagine coming home from the grocery store? And all the money that you paid 200, what is it, 300 bucks for $150 worth of groceries? And then your money is back in the bags. What a blessing. And look at them. Their hearts sank. And they turned to each other trembling. And they said, what has God done to us? This has got to be part of the hammer. And this is, this is a blessing right there for them. And they just see it as this burden, as more punishment. And they're feeling this for, for maybe months as they take the food home. And, and they know they, when they go again, they run out of food again. And they know they've got to bring Benjamin back. And so they bring Benjamin back. And they get to Egypt and they say, oh, I remember you guys. Whoever, whoever meets them says, oh, I remember you guys. Come on, we've got a special place to take you. And they take them to Joseph's house. And these brothers are freaking out because they're taking this Egyptian official's house and they say, they must know. They must know that our money was here and they think we stole from them. And so they pull the servant aside, Joseph's servant. And they say, listen, I don't know how it happened, but, but our money ended up in our sacks and we have no idea who put it there. And it's been weighing on us, but we didn't mean to do this. And you know what the servant says? He says, it's all right. Listen, it's all right. He said, don't be afraid. You are God. The God of your father has, has given you treasure in your sacks. I received your silver. It's all right. And then he brings their other brother out to them. The one that had been left behind in Egypt. And the key, can you hear the key in the, in the prison of guilt and shame starts to unlock for them just a little bit. And, and here's the thing. They're, they're soon going to come face to face with this one, the, this, this brother that they've wronged. They're soon going to come face to face with him. 
And he's not going to be the pibsqueak whiner that he was years ago. He's not going to be the, pow- the man in power over them. And they're going to be trembling because the lens they have right now is God and everybody else is ready to punish them. But the, the thing they don't know is this one that they think is going to be ready to punish them, Joseph, when they realize it's him, his heart is for them. And he's going to use his power not to crush them, but to help them in ways they never thought possible for for years to come. And listen, this is where we see Joseph as, as a type of Jesus Christ. This is where Joseph, Joseph is not like, listen, don't mistake what I'm saying here, that Joseph is just some guy to learn how to live our lives from. Joseph is a demonstration of the heart of God towards his people. And we see it here perhaps better than anywhere else. It's this process of forgiveness he goes through for his brothers. But his brothers show up to the one who has power over them, the one they think is going to judge them. And he's there for their good. And listen, we can feel like this towards God. As we look at times in our past and mistakes in our past, as we feel the guilt and the shame of that thing that nobody else knows in your life, because if they knew it, they would leave you behind and reject you. If they knew the real you, if people knew the real me, you guys wouldn't be listening to me. We live in this prison of guilt and shame and we come and when we realize that and we come before God, we think he's just going to bring this hammer down and we don't realize his heart is for us. And what if that one whose eyes are on our walls, that one that we have the picture hanging on us is not the accuser, not the one we've wronged, but the father who loves us, whose heart is for us and whose heart is to forgive And we see this nowhere better than at the cross where Jesus, as he is dying on the cross, nails in his hands, blood gushing down, about to be thrust through with a spear, he says what? Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Anybody looking up at the cross that day must have thought those eyes staring back at them would have been staring back with hatred. But they weren't. They were staring back with love. So listen, have you come? Have have you come? Have you stepped before the cross of Jesus Christ? When When you realize your guilt and your shame and that what God, as rightful judge, has the right to do is to crush you out for this, that what you have done, it deserves punishment just like these brothers. They knew they deserved punishment. You, me, we deserve punishment. And Jesus took it. So when he calls us to himself, he calls us to bring out that deepest, darkest part of ourselves, that thing that we wish nobody else knew about us, and to bring it to him. And he calls that shame out of us, not to, but not to shame us, to heal us. Because he's, he's the God who has compassion on the very ones who offended him. The very ones who offended him. And because he has that compassion on us, Joseph and you and me, we can have compassion on the very people who hurt us. See, that's not popular today, is it? Like anger and rage is all the, all the norm today, right? Especially where? In traffic, when you're driving, and on social media, right? Those are the two places where you see rage just take off. Why? Because you're not looking the person in the face. Oh, because this person who said something I hate, (laughs) 
All I see is what they say. I don't see their face. They're not a person. They're this two-dimensional enemy that deserves punishment and deserves my anger, and I'm just going to lash out of them, out at them. That's why people are driving like maniacs on the road and cutting each other off, and anything that happens to them is some slight. And every other car around me is not just somebody else going about their lives. There's some enemy. It's all over the place. Can we be a people who show compassion to our offenders who realize they're, they're not some faceless enemy? They're, they're someone who God loves. This is, listen, this is not an easy choice. I don't think it was an easy choice for Joseph. But it doesn't start with facing them. Listen, it doesn't start with facing our offender. So, so we fast forward in the story and we're going to come to the, the ultimate moment, right? Where, where, where Joseph's brothers... Um, they, they have, um, they've had dinner with Joseph, and it's a great scene, you got to watch it, because they have dinner, they don't know it's him, and they're seated in birth order, and they're like, who, how, how, do, how do people know which one of us is older than the other? And then the servers, they bring food to all of them, but they bring, the, they bring Benjamin, the young son, the new favorite son of Jacob, they bring him five times as much as anybody else. They're looking at each other like, what is going on? And Joseph sends them off again with money in their sacks and, and one other thing, a silver cup that he puts in Benjamin's sack and he frames them for theft. And he sends his servant to arrest him and they bring him back. And Joseph says, I'll be fair to you all. Like, you, the, all of you can go free except for the one guy who had this, the, the cup in his sack who stole my cup. He, I, I'm going to imprison you. And here it is again. Like, like, this is what this whole plan was leading towards was this moment where the brothers have the chance to do it again. Here he is. Here's dad's favorite. The only other son of dad's favorite wife. The guy who got, I didn't know there was another silver spoon in life after Joseph, but there was another silver spoon and this guy got it. And, my, and dad treats him better than anybody else and the world treats him better. And now this crazy Egyptian official treats him better than anybody else. And here's the brother's chance to get rid of him. Just like they got rid of Joseph. Except, except this time they don't even have to lift a finger. All they have to do is say nothing. What are they going to do? All they have to do is nothing. And in that moment, one of the brothers, Judah, steps forward and speaks for all of them. And he says, wait, wait a second, this, this can't happen. It's, 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 you don't know how much this, this boy means to dad. Don't, don't do this to the boy. And you know what Judah says? He says, take me. Take me instead. Don't do this to my father. Don't do this to Benjamin. Take me instead. I don't know about the cup. I don't know what happened, but just take me. And, and that's, that's what Joseph was waiting for. Oh, I can enter back into relationship with these guys. They've changed. And he says this, Joseph could no longer control himself. Before all his attendants, he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. And Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? See, they've told him that their dad's still living, but now he's asking as a son. Not some stranger, as a son. Tell me about dad. I missed him. But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. See, all they see is the hammer. All they see is the hammer ready to fall. And then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. 
Come close. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, listen to this, do not be distressed. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been a famine in the land. And it's going to go on for five more years. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you, for our family, a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. And like, here's the scene when he's coming face to face and this is what we've been waiting for. Go read through the story like this is the moment you wait for when he reveals himself to his brothers, right? And this is the forgiveness scene, isn't it? And like in our imaginations, here's what happens. Like the brothers are gonna fall down weeping and say, we're so sorry, Joseph, for all that, you, all that we did to you. And he's going to stand back there and say, yeah, you should feel bad. You should be groveling. Let me tell you about how awful the last 22 years have been. And they'll say, forgive us. And he'll say, listen, because I am so awesome, I will forgive you. (laughs) But only because I'm so awesome. And isn't that kind of how we imagine forgiveness in our own lives? Like for somebody who offended us, that's the moment we're waiting for. We're waiting for them to come weeping and kneeling before us and recognize all the devastation that the hurricane of their actions caused us. Like if they only knew like this, to them this might be nothing. And they've got to see this is a category four. This has affected me my whole life. And, and this... This doesn't happen. Why, why doesn't this happen? Like, where's the, where's the weeping of the brothers? Does that happen? Do you know why? Here's why I think. Because Joseph has already forgiven them. At this point, Joseph has already forgiven them. See, we, we think forgiveness is this meetup with the person who offended us. And this, like, weeping and, and, and making it right. That, listen, that's not forgiveness. That's restoration. That's relational restoration. Forgiveness happens before that. And forgiveness is not between us and between somebody else. Forgiveness is between us and God. Do you know that? Here's what Joseph realized. Here's what we need to realize. We need to pursue forgiveness vertically before we ever do it horizontally. Because this is an action between us and God. We've been wronged. We've been hurt. And we need to take that hurt to God. So listen. Forgiveness is this transaction, and, and, and here's the thing, it's for us. We think forgiveness is for the other guy, the, the, the one who hurt us, to finally let him off the hook of whatever guilt and shame. Like, listen, that, that's part of relational restoration later on, but forgiveness is for us. It's not for our offender. And so why is Joseph so free in this? What does he say to his brothers? I don't want you even, even to feel bad. How can he say that? For 22 years of slavery and suffering that they caused him. How can he say that? Because he's free. This is what forgiveness, when we go before God to forgive our offender, this is what forgiveness does for us. It frees us that, that much. We don't even think it's possible. And yet it, it, it does. Listen to this quote. This is from a book called The Cure. And it says this, First before God I forgive the offenders for what they've done and the consequences they've borne in my life. This is before God and me. It is for my sake. It doesn't let anyone off the hook. It doesn't excuse any action. It doesn't restore a relationship. It's a chance, it's a choice to free myself 
to begin healing, trusting God's character, strength, love, and protection, I place the entire list of consequences and loss into his hands. This is a hard choice because this is our story, right? This is my pain. This has affected me how deeply. And I take that and I take that before God and I surrender the need to see justice done. Why? Because I surrender my need to be the judge. And I give him the place as rightful judge over all of my life. It's a hard choice, but he's a better judge than I am. And he's a better judge than you are. And as I forgive my offender before God, I'm taking that to him and I'm giving him the right to be the judge that he is. The one who sees the whole story that I can't see. I can't see the story of my offender's life. I can see the full story of my life and the impact this has. He sees the whole story and he loves everybody in the situation perfectly. Me and the person who treated me like trash. He loves them perfectly. This is, this is what you see in Joseph. This is why Joseph can say, I don't want you to even worry about it, guys. Like, don't even feel bad because God is at work. So what does this look like? Like, okay, we've seen it in Joseph's life. What what does this look like? I want to introduce you to someone who knows what this looks like. We have been giving out the call for life stories among all of you. And I want to introduce you to Michelle Barshinger. She's our director of Women of Grace. And she's also part of the Life Stories team. So as there's an email up on the screen, as you discover testimonies in your own life and realize what God has done, you can email that team with them. But she had the courage and bravery to step forward and share a piece of her story this morning. Would you welcome her? Good morning. I need to pray before I do this. Jesus, I thank you that your presence is here with us and that your presence is in us. And I thank you that you are a great and mighty God, that you are the ultimate forgiver. And I thank you, God, that you've shown us that through your word. And you show us that just by showing up and being who you are in our lives. Lord, as I speak today, I just ask for your spirit to be the one to speak through me that your words may um, bring the life that you intend them to bring. In Jesus' name, amen. So I was in my late 20s when I realized I had a problem. I'd been following Jesus for about seven years, and I'd been letting him rescue my heart and restore my soul for the same amount of time. I was working with a Christian leader in my church, and we were going through the book and the workbook titled The Wounded Heart, Hope for Adult Victims of Childhood Sexual Abuse by Dan Allender. I simultaneously hated and loved that book. I loved it for the first time because for the first time in my life, someone understood my pain because I finally began to understand myself and the depth of tragedy that happened to me throughout my childhood. And I hated it because it brought to the surface awful wounds that I really just wanted to stay buried. Jesus used that book to get me to look head on at my childhood, the innocence stolen, 
to realize the damage it did to my soul, to my relationship with God, my relationship with others, and my relationship with myself. And frankly, it all seemed like way too much to bear. It was so much easier to just continue in the state of mind that I'd been in my whole life. It's not that big a deal. It happened so long ago. There's no reason to bring all this up again. I'm an adult for Pete's sake. I mean, let's just keep what's buried buried. But God, in his merciful, loving, and amazing grace, was not going to let that happen. There was no way that he was going to let me stay there in my pain and in my brokenness, just trying to survive life. He had so much more freedom for me than I could ever have known. And underneath my state of denial lurked an even more insidious mindset. I blamed God. It was his fault for my suffering because he could have done something to stop it and he did not. Assigning blame for my suffering gave me a place to direct my anger. After all, someone had to be at fault. Why not the all-powerful God who could have intervened? And when I began following him in my early 20s, there was an unspoken rule between us. I'll believe in you, God. I'll follow you, but I'm not going to trust you. You broke that trust when you didn't protect me, and you allowed me, a helpless child, to suffer gravely. So, I'll be a Christian. I'll love you, but I'll take care of myself, thank you very much, since you didn't do your job. And I only discovered this unspoken rule I had against God when I started reading that book. And I was looking with Jesus at the brokenness in my soul, and I hadn't seen it before, but there it was, my contempt for God my contempt for myself, and my contempt for my abusers. My hatred was uncovered. I despised God for what happened, and I regarded myself as worthless because of it. It took months of working through really hard and really painful things, of acknowledging before someone else all the yuck that I'd been hiding and living out of for all those years. And more than once, I wanted to throw that stupid book across the room because I had to look honestly into the darkest places of my heart. But as I did that, little by little, I began to see the truth that God was revealing. First of all, it wasn't my fault. And second, it wasn't God's fault. There was one explanation for my suffering. Men's free will to choose sin. Period. Sin hurts. And we each get to choose whether we sin or whether we don't. And this revelation is what allowed me to forgive God. I was holding him hostage and responsible for what other men had done to me. And the irony of that is that I was damaging the very lifeline that I needed, my relationship with my Heavenly Father, because He was the only one who could see into my heart. He's the only one who knew every single part of me, and He was the only one who could mend and heal the hardest places. After choosing to forgive God, I was able to look more clearly at myself. It wasn't my fault either. My longing for love, my longing for attention, was not to blame for what happened. 
I was created to be a trusting and needy little girl, and I was worthy of the right kind of love and attention. I was worth protecting. I was never meant to be marred or used. I was made in the image of God, and I was profoundly and deeply loved by my creator. God's gracious healing was happening all over the place, and my heart was coming alive and and free without the burden of all that hatred that I had inside me. And then I got to the very last chapter of that book, and I read this life-altering question. What would you do if God gave you two options? First, press the left button, and God would totally destroy your abuser so that not one molecule of his being existed next to another. Or, press the right button, and God would totally restore him to be the man, father, and husband God designed him to be. Which would you choose? The war raged at that moment in me. God... God was dealing now with my contempt for my abusers. And what my flesh wanted to do raged against the conviction of God within me. How could I possibly, possibly push that first button? How could I allow the evil of hatred and unforgiveness to condemn and annihilate another person Another person made in the image of God, someone profoundly and deeply loved by their creator just as I was, what would that make me? I cried a lot, and I put that book down, and I sat in stunned silence for what seemed like an eternity. Could I really do this? Jesus, what are you asking me to do? For if you forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, your heavenly Father will not forgive you your sins. Forgive deeply from your heart. How could I not? Jesus was right, and I wanted to obey God. I had to lose the hatred and replace it with a desire for my abuser's redemption. I knew that my entire future depended on that moment. My free will choice was to remain in bondage to unforgiveness or to trust Jesus, forgive from my heart, and be free. I'd suffered enough. I wasn't going to carry that suffering one bit more into my future. By the grace of God, I forgave my abusers that day. And now I'd like to say, that was it, all done, case closed, no more bitter feelings, no more problems after that. (laughs) The enemy tried multitude of times to offer me that unforgiveness again. He enticed me to just pick it back up and to be entangled once more with this bondage of contempt and hatred. But each time I reminded him and I reminded myself that my choice was made and it will not be undone. I forgive because Christ Jesus has forgiven me. I chose and I choose Even to this day, forgiveness over and over again until my feelings catch up and stop fighting me. In my own power, it would have been impossible to choose forgiveness. Only by God's grace and only his power in me was I able to choose to forgive. Because every single person, myself included, deserves a chance to be redeemed and free. Thank you. 
for allowing me to share my story with you. Thank you, Michelle. Some of us will look at that situation and say, how is that choice even possible? To forgive. So Michelle was wondering too, and it was. But only because she realized she was forgiven. So what about you? Which button would you push? You've got hurt, you've got offenses in your life, and chances are, I'm willing to bet, at some point this morning, somebody came to mind. Somebody who's hurt you. You have a choice. Which button are you going to push? The left one? Wish them hate, wish them punishment, wish the hammer to come down on them, or the right one? To wish restoration. This is the process of forgiveness. Putting your whole life and their whole lives into the only one who's worthy and able to oversee all of it and work good through it. And so I want to give you a chance this morning to push the button. Not the left one. <laughs> if you've been pushing that, you can, you can make that choice and continue pushing that button. But, but, but the right one, we're going to go into a time of worship and as, as you know, I said chances are somebody came to mind. It probably wasn't chance. It probably was the Spirit of God bringing someone to mind. Or in this moment ahead, maybe God would bring to mind someone in your life who has hurt you and you have not forgiven. I think forgiveness runs far deeper in our lives than we think it does. And forgiveness does. And so as, as we enter into this time of worship, I invite you to bring this person before the Lord. And you'll see a cross on either side of me. And at each of those crosses, there's cards and pens, and I invite you to come up and just write the name, just the first name, not the full name, just the first name, and initials of that person who you are ready to push the button for and forgive. Now listen, like this isn't a switch, right? You say, I'm not ready. Like this hurts too deep, and... This message was long, but not nearly long enough <laughs> to, to actually help me work through the process of forgiveness. And so you might say, I'm not ready. And that's, listen, that's okay. And so I, I invite you to make a different choice. So you, do you want to be ready? You might not want to forgive them yet. But, but do you want to want to forgive them at some point in your life? Do you, do you want to experience that freedom? I want to invite you to the opportunity to then come forward as a symbol of that and, and, and write initials or first name on a card and drop it in the basket at the foot of the cross. As a way of saying, Jesus, I turn all, over all of this to you. Let me pray for our, our, this, this moment and the lights are gonna dim and we're just gonna sit in this moment of worship before God and allow him to work in our hearts and minds. Lord God, I thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus, that you went to the cross with every wrong we have ever done and you took all the punishment for all of that on yourself. 
And your words, Father, forgive them, were for us, for, for me, who is still a sinner when you died for us. So Jesus, I thank you for your forgiveness that you offer and extend to each one of us. And I thank you that because of that forgiveness that you extended to us, that you can actually move in a supernatural, miraculous way in our hearts to actually extend that forgiveness to others. To trust you in the midst of our hurt, in the midst of our wrong, the wrong done to us. And recognize that even that wrong, even that punishment, you took that to the cross. And to actually release our abuser into your hands. Jesus, in this time, I invite you to speak to our hearts and souls. Bring to mind that one that we still have to do some work around. And God, I pray that you would make us ready to forgive or at least ready to want to forgive and experience all the freedom that you have for us when we give it over to you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's just sit in this time and allow the Spirit to speak to us. And then if you're ready, when you're ready, come forward, write a name, and drop it at the cross.